Everlast is the young adult ministry of Calvary Worship Center located in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Everlast is a place where young adults can come encounter Jesus, grow in Jesus, and make Jesus known. going on everybody how you guys doing good. doing good just out of curiosity whenever norm, normally Kev uh, will do this when he's leading worship but Kev's not here you guys get me tonight out of curiosity by a show of hands how many of you this is your first time uh, doing Everlast being with us tonight take a look around the room real quick what that means what that means is y'all just found out that there's a whole bunch of new people that you guys can become friends with before you leave here tonight. Well, uh, if this is your first time here, let me just say I'm super excited that you joined us. My name is Stuart McPherson. I'm the pastor here for uh, this ministry called Everlast. And uh, just out of curiosity, once again, how are you guys doing on those New Year's resolutions? Anybody make something like you're still sticking to it right now? Planet Fitness is still waiting to make a whole bunch of money on people that will never walk through the doors. <laughs> well, if you haven't made a New Year's resolution and you're still trying to figure out one, uh, you have a perfect attendance record for Everlast in 2020, so there you go. You at least got that going. Well, uh, we're kicking off this new year with the brand new series in this new room, uh, and we're calling this series Encounter. So for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at different stories of where people in the Bible encountered Jesus. Their lives were interrupted, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jesus unexpectedly encountered their life. Now, if we're being honest with each other, that's usually how it goes, right? We don't really just kind of wake up and just assume that we're going to encounter Jesus. Really, for most of us, our stories read Basically, well, one day Jesus just became real to me. The definition for encounter is this, to come upon someone or something unexpectedly. So for most of us here in this room, I'm assuming, uh, as believers, that's basically how it worked out for you. That maybe your family grew up, you grew up in a family that went to church every single weekend. Uh, it kind of became more of like that tradition. It's just something that you did. And uh, all of a sudden, one day, whether that was in children's ministry class or something, you realize that Jesus isn't some mythical figure like Santa or the Tooth Fairy. And all of a sudden, you realize that Jesus wasn't just some guy that lived a really long time ago in history. All of a sudden, you realize, unexpectedly, Jesus became real to you. You realize that he is exactly who he said that he was, that he is God. You realize that his promises could be trusted. You realize that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. For others of you in this room, uh, maybe you grew up in a family that didn't go to church every single weekend. In fact, maybe you grew up in a family that tried to stay as far away from church as they possibly could. 
but you have a friend who invited you one day to go with them to church. Now, whether that was attending a children's ministry, going to the student ministry, maybe they invited you to go to a youth camp, or they invited you to come to this life group, small group, or whatever that church called it, and you're like, I have no idea what that is. And they said, it's just a whole bunch of me and my friends getting together to have a backyard barbecue and talk about Jesus. Whatever it was, all of a sudden, it was in that environment that you got introduced to Jesus for the first time. Again, in an unexpected way. And then there's others of you that are here in this room tonight that maybe this is the first time that you've ever heard about Jesus. In fact, maybe you're sitting next to somebody that invited you to this thing called Everlast Night and you had no idea what that even was. They just told you that there was going to be free tacos on hashtag Taco Tuesday. You're like, sign me up, I'm in. And so you showed up. Or maybe somebody invited you to, uh, maybe the person you're sitting next to once again, invited you to come check out this thing called Everlast, again, not knowing what it was, but that person that you're sitting next to has secretly been your crush for the longest time, and you thought, <laughs> date night, here we go, here's my opportunity. <laughs> and then you showed up, right, and then you showed up, and you're like, this is a church thing. <laughs> what just happened? Well, whatever the case is, what we're going to see out of these stories for these next few weeks as we walk through this series is one simple truth, that even when you weren't looking for Jesus, Jesus was looking for you. So let's pray and then we'll dive into tonight's message. Well, God, it is a brand new season. Uh, and God, I'm just excited that we can be here, that we can learn truth from your word, and uh, God, that we can just be here and, and experience life together. So God, as we get ready to dive into this message that you've placed on my heart, God, I just pray that we would learn one good thing, at least one good thing about you tonight, something that we can apply to our lives and be transformed forever. So God, we dedicate this evening to you, and we lift this all up in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I want to start off by asking you guys a simple question, all right? And don't think too hard on this, but what comes to your mind immediately when you hear the name Jesus? Cross. Cross? Okay. Your mother? Father. Okay, okay. <laughs> I was like, all right, that's cool. Um, now, the reason why I want you guys to think on that is for this reason. The words that come to your mind, that come rushing to your mind immediately when you hear the name Jesus, those words are important because those are how you view Jesus, first of all, but that's how you describe Jesus to somebody else. Let me ask you this thing. Well, not, let me not ask you, but maybe the words that came to your mind was something like friend. The Bible does teach us in Proverbs 18 that God is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Maybe the word that came to mind was healer. In Exodus chapter 15, God himself calls himself Jehovah Rapha, which, is, which means the Lord who heals. Maybe you thought of the word Lord or King, which is fitting, right? Revelation chapter 19 tells us that one day Jesus will return and on his robe and on his thigh is the title King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I love that passage. 
and I'll tell you why. Because that tells me that my God has a tattoo. I'm just saying. Just saying. You guys are like, dude, he's about to get all spiritual, talking about Jesus. No, I'm talking about my God has a tattoo, you guys. Maybe you thought of the word peace. After all, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Now, we just exit out of the holiday season. Some of you guys are really sad about that, and you're holding on to it. Your Christmas lights are still up, and that tree is still going. Kill it, man. It's over. It's a new year. It's coming around again, I promise. But during the holiday season, there is a Bible passage that is used quite often. Some of you are probably familiar with it. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And in that passage, we are introduced to many other words and titles that are associated with the name Jesus. It says this in Isaiah 9, 6. We've got the verse up on the screen for you. It says, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, the reality is that we could go on and on and on talking about different names and words that we can associate with Jesus. But out of curiosity, raise your hand, did anybody think of the word scandalous? No? Thanks, Josh. Yeah, I mean, that's not really a word that we associate with the name Jesus, right? Like if, if you're too shy and you didn't want to raise your hand, be like, yeah, that was me, and then you realize you're the only one raising your hand. I, I get it. But we don't associate that word with the name of Jesus because Jesus is God in the flesh. So the question then becomes, can, can God be scandalous? Well, let me ask you a different question. What words do you think come into the minds of people, non-believers, when they hear the name Jesus? Ever thought of that one? Now, maybe they might think of some of the same words that came rushing into your mind. Maybe. As believers, maybe not. But the reality is that non-believers would probably think of words like teacher, or they would think critic, hypocrite, fake, a good person. Now, in that list, they're not all bad word associations, right? But definitely sprinkled in there were some not good ones as well. But the reality is that the outside world, non-believers, build their opinion of who Jesus is based off of how those who represent Jesus, Christians, walk out their faith. In a Barna study from 2016, uh, millennials were asked the question, so what do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that he is a religious or a spiritual teacher? Or are you just unsure? Three questions. Or three answers. Which one do you think Jesus is? And 52% of millennials responded with either, I'm not sure, or Jesus was nothing more than a religious or spiritual leader. All right? The study showed, goes on to show that with each new generation, the percentage of people that believe that Jesus is God gets smaller and smaller. However, Jesus said himself that he is God. In another Barna study from 2013, uh, when asked the question, how the Christian community is doing representing Jesus, 51% of those asked said that Christians are doing a better job representing the attitude and actions of the Pharisees than that of Jesus. Now, in case you're new to this whole church thing, let me clarify. Basically, what these two studies showed 
was that Christians, one, couldn't properly identify who Jesus is. Again, Jesus said himself that he's God. But the second fact that we get from that is we have a world of people that believe that believers do a much better job representing the attitudes and actions of those who plotted to kill Jesus than those than representing Christ himself. So, all of that to be said, I have one more question for you. And this one's the hard one. What words do you think would come rushing into the minds of people when they hear your name? <laughs> Nothing? I, I hope not. I hope at least something. Because here's the thing. We value a lot what people think of us. Now, for some of us, a little bit way too much. And, I, I'm, and hear me out. What I'm not saying is what people think of you should dictate how you view and value your life because people are entitled to their opinions. It doesn't make them right, contrary to what our culture teaches today. They are entitled to their opinion. However, some of us, we value a little too much about what other people think of us to the point that our good days and bad days are determined based off of what we've heard about what other people think of us. We allow the opinions of other people to determine whether or not we're having a good day or a bad day. But I still want you to think about what words do you think would come to the minds of other people when they hear your name? Would they think, man, he's a great person, she's genuine, outgoing, caring, stubborn, hateful, annoying, rude, coffee addict? <laughs> a lot of you, right? I know, I know. Coffee is life. But would anybody call you Christ-like? And if they did, what would be Christ-like about you? Would it be the way that you cared for other people? Would it be the way that you treat people, even the ones that don't like you, even the ones that you know that don't like you? Would it be because they always see you praying? Would it be because they see you discipling other people because you go to your local coffee shop that you're addicted to? and open up your Bible with somebody, and you're doing a Bible study. What about you would be Christ-like? Would it be, and here's that word again, would it be because you're scandalous? Now, before I continue on, let's define what scandalous means. Scandalous, in our world, 2020, means causing general public outrage by a perceived offense against morality and law. Now I want you to hold on to that definition because as we're walking through our text tonight, if you've got your Bibles with you, you can open up to Matthew chapter 9 and find verse 9. And if you don't have your Bibles with you, don't worry about it. We'll have the verse up on the screen. But let me encourage you to always bring your Bible with you because here in this place, we believe in the Bible. The world's going to throw all their different opinions at you and tell you what they think that you should believe. But what we're going to give you is we're going to give you truth from God's word. And that's going to be the only opinion that we give you. But Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 is where we're going to get started. But as we're walking through our text tonight, I want you to keep in mind what that definition of scandalous is. All right? So Matthew 9, verse 9, and this is what it says. <clears throat> as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the toll booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus 
and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, when he heard this, he said, It is not those, this is Jesus speaking, It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. So right there in our text, I believe what we see is scandalous Jesus in action. Matthew in this story is a tax collector. Now, I think that we would all agree in this room that we don't like paying taxes, right? I mean, a lot of us, we go to work, we, we work really hard, and the last thing that we want to see when we receive our paycheck is that line at the bottom of the check stub that says state taxes, government taxes, and all that kind of stuff. But if we're being open and honest with ourselves, and you didn't even know that was there, by the way, but if we're being open and honest with ourselves, the reality is that we don't feel the effect of those taxes coming out. Why? Because we know generally what we should be getting paid based off of what was agreed upon when we got hired and how many hours that we put in. We don't feel the taxes coming out because we don't have tax collector Timmy coming up to us going, hey, Brandon, I noticed that it was that time again, you got paid. I'm here on behalf of the state and the government to take your money for them. Like, right, that doesn't happen. However, if that does happen to you, first of all, stop giving your money to strangers and call the cops immediately. But my guess is that if a tax collector, let's say, we'll call him Timmy, let's say that Timmy comes to your door. Why is his name Timmy? I don't know. But let's say Timmy comes to your door and he comes knocking and he says, hey, it's time to pay your taxes. My assumption is that if tax collector Timmy was a real person, we would avoid him at all costs. And when he comes knocking at our door, we would probably hate to see his face, right? We're like, mm, Timmy. <laughs> but let's make things a little, little bit more interesting. Let's say tax collector Timmy comes knocking, and he says, hey, it's time to collect taxes. Now, you're looking at Timmy, and what you notice with him this go-around is he's wearing this nice designer suit. He's got this really fancy watch on. He's got, like, this really nice pair of shoes. And you're looking out into the driveway, and you notice that he's driving, like, this really nice red convertible sports car or one of those brand-new Tesla trucks where the windows don't break when you throw a steel ball at it. <laughs> it's coming, people. But you're noticing this, and Timmy comes and he says, hey, it's time to pay your taxes. Now, let's say that you know, generally on average, the amount of taxes that come out of your paycheck should be, let's say, anywhere between $75 to $100. But this time, he comes to you and he says, hey, it's that time, you owe $150, You'd be like, dude, wait, what? So you're looking at Timmy and you're saying, $150, $200, like, what's the deal? And he simply shrugs, throws his hands in the air, and he goes, government, am I right? <laughs> Thanks, Timmy. Here's the thing, as you pay your taxes and you watch Timmy drive off in his Tesla truck, you're sitting there and you're thinking on his suit, his watch, his shoes, his vehicle, and you know, you know that you know that you know that what you just witnessed was him taking double the portion of what he was supposed to collect and you helped pay for that suit, that watch, those shoes, and that car. And to top it all off, there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. 
would you hate Timmy then? Because that's what's going on in our story. That's what's going on. Matthew, this tax collector, is working for Rome, and he's collecting taxes off of the people, and he's collecting more than he's supposed to. This was common practice with tax collectors. Now, for that time, what would happen was Rome, when they would conquer over a territory, they would hire people from that area that they have taken over and use those people to go door to door or sit at a toll booth to collect the taxes. So what that tells us is this, that Matthew, based off of his name, we know that he's a Jew, but that tells us that Matthew is a traitor not only to his friends, his family, his country, but he's also a traitor to his own religious system. Jesus shares a story in Luke chapter 18, and we get this idea from the story that Pharisees hate tax collectors. They view them as scum, the lowest of the low, unforgivable sinners. And with that knowledge of truth, Jesus shares a story in Luke 18. He says this. He says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying, like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, the Pharisee in this story is betrayed to believe uh, that he is a holy man, a righteous man, right? He sits there and he starts just shouting off like all the righteousness and, and all the holy things that he does. Like he's checking off some like, boxes to prove that he is a holy individual. And he's quick to list those things before God. But then we look at the tax collector with his humble submission, sitting there ashamed, not even willing to look up to God. And all he simply brings before God is asking for forgiveness and asking for a little bit of mercy. And when we read this, our heart goes out to the tax collector, right? Because we've all been there. We've all been in that position where we have nowhere else to go but to ask God for his forgiveness. Asking God to be merciful to us. We do something, we keep going back to something that we've said time and time again. God, if you just deliver me from this, this one time, I promise I won't go back to it. God, just save me from this problem. I swear I'm not going to go back to this. And we're sitting there in like this pit of despair, and we just, God, just be merciful to me. God, forgive me. Save me from this. Believer or non-believer alike, we've all been there. So when we read this story that Jesus is sharing, we can sit there and go, I get it. I've been in that pit. But at the same time, we look at the action of the Pharisee and we're disgusted by it. For somebody to have the audacity to think that they're better than anybody else ever, who do you think that you are? And yet, we would sit there and say to the Pharisee, man, you're not better than everybody else. Shame on you for thinking in such a way. But keeping in mind the Barna studies that we looked at, 51% of Americans would say that we represent the attitude and actions of the Pharisee. 
So while we can sit there and say, shame on you, Pharisee, shame on us. You see, for Jesus to have any interaction with the despised tax collector would have been scandalous. Remember the definition? It would have been so scandalous that it would have been true to the definition of the word today. You see, for Jesus to invite this scum of a tax collector to be a follower of him would have caused outrage to the general public. And here's the reason why. Because by doing so, Jesus was not only being morally offensive, but he was offending the religious law of the Jewish people. Jesus was scandalous. Now, I want to clear something up, because some of you, upon hearing the word scandalous in association with Jesus, you get a little uncomfortable on your seat. And I get it. In fact, some of you might even be sitting there going, Dude, how dare Stuart call Jesus scandalous? Who do you think you are? I know, I'm a sinner too. But we get this way. We get uncomfortable with that word association because of the way that our world portrays scandalous behavior. We have shows like ABC's Scandal, where the whole concept of the show is basically one person helping other people out of a scandalous thing that they've found themselves in. You see, we associate the word scandalous with people having sex outside of marriage, or politicians doing something super shady behind closed doors. Basically, we get the idea of being scandalous from what our Hollywood culture would portray to us. But Jesus even said himself that what's done in the secret places in the dark will eventually come to light. And that should almost be a word of warning for a lot of us in this room, right? Like, man, if we all knew each other's like dirty little secrets, the things that we wish that nobody ever found out about, man, we, we would almost never show our faces back up in this place. Yet, the Bible tells us, Jesus says himself, he goes, I am the light of the world. So what's done in the dark is revealed to at least somebody and that somebody is Jesus. But here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus knows your dirty little secret. He still loves you. He still chooses you. He's still looking for you. He's still seeking a relationship with you. That's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus knows what our dirty little secret is, and he's okay with you not being okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. He came for life transformation. He came to bring you life, and he gave, came to give you a life to the abundance. So Jesus was scandalous because what he was doing, get this, he was actually supposed to be doing. And what he was supposed to be doing, he didn't do this behind closed doors someplace. He did this out in public for people to see. The people of Jesus' time perceived that what he was doing was an offense to their law. Because even though what he was doing was good things, they didn't understand it at the time. And the truth is that many people today still don't understand that what Jesus was doing was a good thing. That what Jesus did for all of us was a great thing. It's still perceived as an outrageous act. There's no way that this can happen. This is a fairy tale. It's all a myth. But here's the thing. In order for people to encounter Jesus, which that's what this whole series is about, is going to take some scandalous people. In order for these statistics that we looked at to change, it's going to take people uh, who are willing to shake things up a bit. And, and I believe we as believers, 
Again, if you don't believe in Jesus in this room, you're excluded from this. But for those of you who call on Jesus and call him Lord of your life, the reality is that I think that we become a little too comfortable with our own faith, with our walk. I think that we've made this idea of Christianity something that is convenient to us. The idea of Christianity is supposed to work for us, not the other way around. I believe the problem with a problem with the church today is that we have turned the church into a gathering place. We show up on the weekend for service, or we show up on a Tuesday night for Everlast. We hear a little bit of truth from God's Word, and then we're more than happy to get up and walk out and go about doing our normal, everyday life. Others of you, you'll take it a step further. You'll get plugged into a life group. You'll allow a little bit of accountability to be surrounded in your life. And you'll allow these people to help you grow in your faith, in your walk, and deeper understanding of God's Word. In fact, some of you even made a New Year's resolution that this was going to be the year that you'd be a little bit more diligent when it comes to actually reading the Bible and being in prayer. 365 days, here we go. Wait till you get to Numbers and Leviticus. It's coming up. <laughs> but in all those steps, do you hear the problem? Where's the action step in all that? Where's the action step of actually helping people, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members, get encountered, have an encounter with Jesus? You see, the church was always meant to be a launching pad, not a gathering place. The church was supposed to be a place where us as believers, we come to refuel, re-energize, but then get reset back out into the world. To know Jesus and make Jesus known. That's our calling. That's the mission. You know that, right? Some of the last words that Jesus spoke, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he says, go and make disciples. <laughs> the only calling, the only mission that Jesus has ever given us was simply to love God and love other people. That was it. And yet every day, God has given us prime opportunities to reach out and help those who are far from God be introduced to God. And you're the vessel that he's chosen to accomplish that task through. First of all, that's scary. I, I get that. But second, now what an honor. I know that we all think of ourselves that we're all that and bag of chips. We're really not. But yet God still looks at you and says, I got a plan and purpose for your life. I need you. I was listening to a podcast the other day. It's about a week ago. And I thought this was really good. It was one of those, like, you ever listen to something and somebody says something, you're like, uh, repeat? And so, and you listen to it again, you're like, that was good. It can't be as good as I had thought, so you, like, play it again. I played this, like, four or five different times. But this is what the guy said. He said, be the only. Being better, that's not a difference. Being the only, that's different. You see, Jesus didn't come to be a better religious person than all the Pharisees. Jesus didn't come uh, to, you know, show off to people, right? Like, look how good I am. Now, Jesus came because he was the only one that could make an eternal difference. Jesus came because he was the only one that, one, could do the things that he could do. And he was the only one willing to do the things that he could do. So, 
if we are going to be that great representation of Jesus Christ to our lost friends, family members, and coworkers, it's going to take scandalous people. It's going to take you having to have the hard conversations with people that you just don't want to have. What it's going to take is it's going to take you having to have hard conversations with your friends and family members that want you to just be okay with the lifestyle that they've chosen. What it's going to take is inviting, let's say, uh, a homosexual friend of yours to a Saturday morning breakfast over at Melissa's in my place. And let me tell you the reason why you would do something like that. Because that, that sounds nice, right? It sounds like an easy next step, but it's uncomfortable for probably one, you, and, and for your friend. But here's the thing. We're no different than anybody else. We're jacked up, messed up, broken as well. So all it is is inviting your jacked up, messed up, broken friends to meet your other jacked up, messed up, broken friends, and we try to figure this thing out together. That's all it is. To be scandalous means that when your friend gives you a call on a Saturday night and says, hey man, I'm too drunk to drive, can you come pick me up? You go, yeah. And then on the way heading home, you sit there and go, hey, why don't you go to church with me in the morning? That's not what they want to hear, but that's scandalous behavior. Again, because people would rather just be okay with you being okay with the lifestyle that they've chosen. Being scandalous means that, hey, maybe you decide that I'm going to take my faith in a whole new uh, direction. I've been sitting on this. I've been soaking in God's information. I've been showing up to Everlast in the church on weekends, and it's been good. But Jesus called you to action. Maybe that means on the weekends you sign up to serve in our children's ministry. Maybe you serve in our youth ministry. Josh Alvarado, who just led us in worship, he's our high school pastor. He's awesome. Josh Olgin, over here, he leads out in our junior high ministry. Guys, I'm telling you, our, our student ministry needs volunteers. They need help. Our children's ministry needs help. Maybe what it takes is you signing up to stand out in the cold on Sunday mornings with Tina, greeting people as they're coming and walking in through the door. To be scandalous in the world today would mean that you're actually being the hands and feet of Jesus. Get this, thinking of yourself less and serving other people. So here's your homework assignment if you choose to accept it. First, what words, I want you to think about this, what words do you think come to the minds of people when they hear your name? And then second, ask yourself, does my attitude, does my attitude and actions reflect more of the Pharisees, those who plotted to kill Jesus, or do my attitude and actions reflect that of Jesus, being scandalous enough to put others before myself? Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss out on any new content. If you are a young adult in the Colorado Springs area, be sure to check out Everlast on Wednesday nights from 6.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. at 501 Castle Road, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80904. For more information, please visit our website at cwccs.org. God bless.